Good morning, friends. Fun to see you. I know some of you have been looking forward to this time of having me in the hot seat. It's super, I enjoy this time. If you're new, this is just not regular. I usually bring sermons and, and put you to sleep sometimes. This morning, you get, get to ask me anything you want, and Randy's going to help. Apparently, we've got some parable questions. We've, I, want, I would love for you, let's get the um, text number thing up there back again. I love any question, but I love questions about what we've been talking about. So particularly parables. We've gone through some really, really challenging parables in the last five or six months. We've talked uh, about a lot of things that if Jesus does not pull his punches, if you haven't noticed. If you, haven't, if, if, if you think Jesus is kind, gentle, uh, kind of vanilla, you haven't read the Gospels because Jesus just brings the heat and challenges each and every one of us. And so I'm, I, if you've been around, I bet you've been challenged, and I'd love to hear some questions about that. But Randy, do we have enough questions to get cracking uh, right away? We do. All I right. think so. Thanks, folks, whoever you are. And keep it up. <laughs> yeah. So I think probably the best place to start would be the parables. Sure. I think we, we have definitely emphasized that in the last while, so I think we should do that. And um, I think... The very first one, I think, is a really good one that came through here is, um, what parable would you say, kind of an overview sort of thing, challenges culture or common sense in our society and or common sense? Common sense. What parable would you say challenges our culture or the common sense? Maybe you could say the common mentality or way of thinking. I mean, I think most of them. Um, but. I would, the one that pops out to me right now, I'd be interested to hear your answer. The one that pops out to me right now is the Good Samaritan. Um, this idea of um, this religious leader, this expert at the law, thinking that he could corner Jesus into how do I inherit eternal life? And he's got his formulas just like we've got our formulas. I mean, we, Jesus has offended people, has, has offended people in this church I know from some emails that I've gotten over uh, some of the formulas that he did or didn't give over how to inherit eternal life. And when Jesus was asked point blank, how, how do I inherit eternal life? He tells the story of what does it look like to follow the law? What does it look like to please God? He tells, tells the story of the most unexpected person in their culture, the most profane person, the, most, the person that you'd never guess would get it and would be a person of the kingdom actually walking and living in the way of the kingdom in this good Samaritan. This Samaritan was a, a religious and cultural reject, a marginalized person. And the two people who didn't get it right were the religious leaders, were the people like you and I. Yep. And the person who got it right was the person who would never think of stepping foot through these doors, which just has to make you think yeah. about what's going on in our world and who, who might be the people of God, what might... Uh, a person following in the way of Jesus look like in our world, in our day and, day and time? What, what about you, Randy? Well, kind of in a similar vein, um, for me, the prodigal son is definitely that. And the prodigal son kind of being a misnomer because it, there's two of them yeah. <laughs> in there. And, and the second one, the older one, and this was, you know, great focus last week, really representing in a lot of ways people like us, people maybe like you, if this describes you, that have you know, grown up in church 
and have been about religiosity and church going and that sort of thing. Those are the ones, <clears throat> excuse me, that Jesus is always challenging the socks off all yeah. the time, yeah. and in that one in particular. And I think every time we read or hear something that's kind of focused on, you know, the Jewish leaders or something like that, it's totally fair to put ourselves in that spot, and we really should put ourselves in that spot, not kind of look at it from the outside, but look at it from the inside, because he's really challenging us in that way. And yeah and really, you know, focusing in on the religious leaders. That's what he has the most strong words for. And those are his people, right? Jesus exactly. Jesus was a Jewish man, grew up in the Jewish tradition. Rabbi he, himself. Rabbi himself. And he's yep. the ones that, like you said, the ones that he challenges are his own religious people. Yep. So there's another question I think goes with this one. Um, well, about what, which one you find personally challenging and why. I guess that could be similar to what we said. But also, in reference to this uh, prodigal son story, is there any further context on the elder son finding out about the younger brother returning by hearing singing and dancing um, to, to the scene at that time, um, rather than, than being told by the father? Is there any further context that we should understand about what the elder son is walking into? as he's coming back in that story of the prodigal son. Maybe, what was the context, if you could review that maybe even from last week? What's he walking into with that singing and dancing and everything that's going on there? What would it have been like? Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of further context that I know of that um, I didn't go into last week. Um, but the, the older son, I think the thing that is really, really important to realize in the, the parable of the prodigal son is that the older, there's two prodigal sons in the prodigal son, the, yep. the parable of the lost son. And the older brother disassociates and excommunicates himself from his family and from his father just as much as the younger one does by not going into that party, by not going into the celebration, by not calling his father father, by not calling his brother my brother. There's very intentional... Um, in Jesus' storytelling, he was very intentional about communicating to his original listeners. The prodigal son, the younger son, was the first one to say, you're dead to me, dad, and I'm not interested in anything that you have to, to give me except for my inheritance. And the, the older son did the same exact thing by not going into that party. The party itself, um, you'd have to talk to a biblical scholar. I've consulted some, but I'm not one myself. I don't know if you have any background on that. And the, the personal challenge for me, the, she, the parable of the sheep and goats just... Mm. Uh, like that's a, that's a, that should be startling for every single one of us. Um, if you want to read Matthew 25, the second half of Matthew 25, that's the parable, parable of the sheep and goats, and we went into that. And um, I don't visit near enough prisoners, and I don't um, provide food for near enough hungry people, and I don't provide drink for near enough thirsty people, and I don't... Um, I don't live my life in a way that uh, is representative of what Jesus is talking about nearly enough to feel good about um, where I am in uh, how I follow Jesus, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. And Jesus seemed to care a lot about that stuff in that parable in particular. So that's the one that personally challenges me more. How do I live my life and how do I orient my family around um, caring for the least of these? Because Jesus seems to think that that's caring for Jesus himself. Yeah, just to go back to the parable of the lost sons. Um, for me, 
I honestly see my, myself and in that story a lot, mostly of the older son. <laughs> I, in some ways, and maybe some of you can relate to this, I, I see myself in both ways because I've had different phases and experiences in my life, but definitely in the sense of being this older son that feels like, you know, why does this person get all this glory, so to speak, or why is he being celebrated, or that sort of thing. And I just can't get past that one, then the amazement of that and the challenge of that to me, to keep my feet on the ground, so to speak, and not allow my own pronouncements or opinions or judgments to keep them in a context that they should be kept in. Um, rather than feeling like I have all the information on every situation, on every person, and can make pronouncements on that. Um, and so just that, that's just kind of a broader way that I take that um, older son story to heart for me in, as I come in contact with people. And I'll tell you that that's been a lifelong journey of getting to that place. I didn't always feel that way and um, was way more judgmental as a younger person <laughs> and a Christian and even as I started getting into Christian leadership then I find myself in uh, the last few decades for sure yeah I got a few decades I can talk about but uh, yeah mm -hmm. so to mm -hmm. me that that continues to be favorite or most impactful as far as um, how parables uh, impact me and yeah, I, I wish we could spend a month on that per parable <laughs> myself. You we, know. Did a, we did a series on it several years ago. Right, right. It's amazing. So, um, yeah, so as we're, you know, looking at this, we're, we can adjust a little bit here into some of the, some of the broader other questions that might be going. Um, that are definitely on people's minds today. Um, Divided country, mm -hmm. let's talk about in that context, how do we minister in with and to believers on opposite sides? And I think we answer this question one way or another every time we do this, <laughs> right? Or you have. And how do we minister with and to believers on the other side of political lines? I think we're especially talking here about differences in the church on this way. How do, how do we do that? How do we, in a divided country, minister with and to believers that have other opinions politically? <laughs> um, it's getting more and more difficult in this culture yeah. and in our world, isn't it? Um, I mean, we could, uh, we could talk about this all day, but um, we've lost people on both sides of the aisle because we haven't said um, the, the, the catchphrases or the, or the desired words or um, political woke things on one side and the um, conservative things on the other. But uh, in my life, I mean, this has been the most challenging two and a half years of my life in 
um, pastoring and leading a church and just being a family member, being a son, being a brother, being a friend, um, being a human being who is on social media. And uh, when I come back to Jesus is when I reorient myself and um, feel like I'm centered and standing on some solid ground. Um, when, I, when I see the way Jesus engaged with people who thought so differently, right? I mean, there was, we'd like, we like to think that our world is as extreme as it gets or that it's all fresh and new, but uh, Jesus existed in a time of extreme political upheaval. I mean, you, we have no idea what politi political upheaval and, and hatred and partisanship looks like as opposed to Jesus' world. And uh, Jesus did a pretty good job of holding space with all those people, of disappointing many people, but also calling people into a different way, and that's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of, that Jesus demonstrated, which is so countercultural in his day and still is. And so I'm not saying don't have any political opinions. I'm not saying don't be informed. Those are really good things to do. But... I think the first starting place for me is to realize that I'm not rooting myself in my political ideology. I'm rooting myself in my identity in Jesus. That right there could be it. Um, and then it's just empathy is a lost gift in our world. As this Roe v. Wade thing has come down, I'm just, and I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't go on Facebook much these days, so if I don't like your stuff, don't be offended. It's just because I, I try to stay off of toxic places. Um, Twitter, I've tried to engage with more, and it's just unbelievable. It's a, it's a mess this weekend. And um, I just think if we held space with more empathy, with more solidarity, with more compassion, kindness, Listening, I know all of this is really personal. I know some of this personally affects many people sitting here or listening online. Um, but that would be, I would just say, like, I think empathy would go a long way to, to bringing healing, to listening, to, to, to sitting with people, not um, sitting on the other side of the aisle. Yeah, same. In a lot of ways, I think. You know, I, my first default in uh, thinking about political divides and where the church ends up falling on things and how we respond and all of that, and then, of course, reflecting of the last two, three years here in the broader American church context, but even here at Bruce City, there's just been, um, and I think continues to be, first and foremost, uh, a lack of understanding of what the church is in relation to God's greater purposes and narrative of the kingdom as Jesus described it. They, they, I think over and over again that they are not always the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Thank God, because the church continues to oftentimes, and it's not just in our generation, it's in years past, the church gets it wrong sometimes, even on the grander scales of things. And that's sad to say, but it does. Mm -hmm. 
And so the only place we can look, in my opinion, for a place to get it right are in some of the things we've been talking about and in the ways of Jesus and understanding that any of our musings or even our answers here today and things that we talk about are all, um, as one of my favorite music artists says, hopelessly human. <laughs> they are that. Um, and so we need to, and of course, we, we work through these things. We, um, we formulate answers. We do Q&As. We do this sort of thing. But at the end of the day, we all have to continue to look to the words and the ways of Jesus, both, and how he lived these things out. And, and then look and say, are there places that I personally am getting this wrong or right in ways that our, our church, big C and small C, are getting this wrong or right? Um, the other thing I'd just mention in this context is, and I, I try to say this with compassion for us because of the context we're in, but I think the American church thinks we're the only deal when it comes to the church in this world. And the church is so much bigger than us. And we oftentimes speak as we are the only thing going on in this world. And many of you know I, I work out in the church globally all over. And you can't help but bring those contexts to bear on what you think about all of these things and what's happening here. And it always feels and looks different when you bring other believers, other Christians, other parts of the church to bear on these same things. And we're the better for it yeah. when we do that. And so um, I think, I think we, we just think way too much of ourselves as the church here in, in this country yep. in that way. And so um, before we decide I'm landing here or I'm landing here, can we get some voices into our minds? Can we get some context that goes beyond just, you know, our, our little country of 200 years in the context of history and in the context of this world right now? We're a blip. That's good. Yep. Well, you look for the next question. I'll just say also, I've, the last couple of years, I've tried to um, think about how is history going to, to, to judge how we live right now as the church? Because if you look back, the church has done both good and bad. Early church, pretty remarkable. I mean, they were seen as people who were uh, a group of people who were wanting to overthrow their society because they did things like picking up babies from from the, the, the doorstep of a, a home that didn't want little girls. And literally, the Roman, a Roman dad would say, I don't want this little girl, so I'm going to leave her out there to die. And the church would say, we're, we're going to take care of her. I'm close to swearing right now because I feel so strongly. What would the world think of us if we kept our opinions to ourselves about some things that are going on right now and just said, we're going to come to the aid of unwanted babies? The church did that in the early times, and they, the, they changed their world. They did things in the early church, like laid down their arms and, and weren't, they, they, they considered it, it in, 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 inappropriate for a Christian to be a, 
soldier in the Roman army and served the empire. These are subversive things that are really beautiful looking back on. And then the church used the Bible to, 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 to endorse slavery. There was Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s had a terrible approval rating in the church. People hated him in the church. History judges us. And so when, we, when I've been thinking about whether to mask or not in these last few years or whether to um, what, what God thinks about hot button issues, I'm thinking about what will in 100 or 200 years people say about the choices that we make and the things that we say because it seems really hot in the moment, but it's really easy to look back on things and say, how could you say that? How could you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So what are some places, there's a question here that is, is talking about, uh, I can find it quick. Um, you know, let, let's just talk about what just happened this last week and the overturn of Roe v. Wade and abortion rights and all of this. Um, we had a question in here, I wish I could find it now, but was talking about what are some of the places that we ought to look um, in the church and in scripture to help inform us on this. Um, and, and also in how, um, I'm thinking of your Wesleyan quadrilateral thing, how does uh, tradition and how do, what have this church uh, and how has the church engaged with, um, with medicine, with um, medical opinions on these matters and all of that sort of thing through the years. How do, how do we inform how we um, interpret all of this and, and what's happening now? as church leaders, as Christian leaders, and, and using scripture, as using church tradition, using um, the zeitgeist, what's happening in our times right now as well in, in terms of that. How do we do that? And, and what things, what's an example of how that balances and how we do that? Uh, I don't have a prepared answer. Um, <laughs> Me neither. Yep. That's, but I, I just don't think we can avoid that one yep. today. Yep. Um, I think the scriptures are pretty clear that God has a heart for the marginalized, um, that God has a heart for um, the forgotten, the least of these, the most vulnerable. And I think that we're talking about marginalized, vulnerable, least of these on both sides of the issue. I think there's not enough humility around this conversation. I think there's not enough empathy around this conversation and putting ourselves both in this the place of a woman in crisis and um, you know I've sat with couples who delivered a stillborn 24 week old baby my wife held that baby and uh and I also think the world doesn't need another white male 
to say what he thinks about abortion and pro-life and pro-choice. Um, so I want to listen more. I want to sit with, I mean, I'm, I'm a kid who grew up going, my, my mom dragged me and my sister to uh, a Planned Parenthood clinic and we protested every Saturday morning when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And I remember the most formative shaping thing that happened to me in those times was a woman who just said, hey, you want to talk? And she just asked me what my thoughts were and we just had a real conversation. But um, what I'm trying to say is this is a really complex thing um, that I think the scriptures do have some things to say. And I think um, just saying the Bible says so is not enough sometimes because this is an ancient library of books from anywhere from two to four, five thousand years ago. And oral, they started orally. And um, it's our job to parse the scriptures and to seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and to listen. Um, so that's what I personally want to do more of these days. Yeah. Um, you know, we can all use the Bible to our own means if we desire to do so. Mm -hmm. and, and that definitely happens uh, in this context. So I think having a good way before we're deciding to pick, um, you know, one verse or one single uh, verse out of context to make our argument is definitely um, not the way to go. So that's just a, on a very um, simple level. But I think there are important things in understanding in how we make our um, presence in this world, and again, follow in the way of Jesus in this way, mm -hmm. is we listen to those that it affects most, mm -hmm. uh, for sure, as you're saying. And so, um, yeah, like you said, frankly, there should be um, others way more um, listenable or people that are <clears throat> particularly women that should weigh in on this mm -hmm. um, much more than, than us. Yeah. Um, but we, yeah, we're, we're leaders in this church and in the church, and so I think <clears throat> that's our first and foremost mandate is to listen, first and foremost in regards to these things, and to, and to hear from those especially who don't have um, strong voices in it, mm -hmm. but it affects the most. Yeah. in all of yeah. this. And while you search for the next question, um, yeah. let me just say I know that there's a lot of people who resonate with what Randy and I are saying who are kind of just like, I don't know. Um, but I want to listen, I want to learn, I want, I, it's, this is complex and I have feelings on both sides. And then I know that there are some of you who are really strong on the pro-life side and there's some who are really strong on the pro-choice side. And you have, may have just decided to leave this church or to never come back because of what we said or didn't say. And if that's you, that's okay. You can do that. But I'm going to encourage you. The talking heads in our world are trying to divide us. 
Talking heads are trying to say, if, if you don't hear this from your pastor, from your church leader, whether it's strongly pro-life or strongly pro-choice, you need to leave that space. And I just want to challenge, check that a little bit. I just want to tell you, um, life in an echo chamber can be pretty comfortable, but it is, you won't grow living in an echo chamber. You won't grow and, and evolve and become a better human being, a more Christ-like human being, living in your political or ideological echo chamber. So um, I find um, having multiple perspectives and viewpoints on different things like this in a space like a church body, really important. So I hope you stay, and I hope you bring yourself, and I hope you talk to me afterwards, or talk to Shelly or Randy afterwards, or Abby or whoever, Ian, I just listed all our elders, um, and I hope we can learn from each other, and I hope we can hold space with each other, and I hope we can listen to each other, um, even while we have strong opinions on things that are important to us. I'll just add one more thing on it, <laughs> and we'll move on, um, and this is more on the personal side for sure. Um, yeah, you know, as Christian leaders, as church leaders, we, and that was the question, talk about it from that context. But we all need to realize that we bring who we are to this as well. Mm -hmm. And just a little insight into who I am. My wife and I adopted our son 24 some years ago out of a young mother situation who chose adoption as a 15-year-old mother for, for our son. And we couldn't be more grateful that that happened. So that, that is a life-altering yep. decision in many directions, including ours, yep. that took place there. So we do not tread lightly in these things. Yeah. And then last night, my wife, this is Shelly, she's my wife, <laughs> pastor of discipleship here. Um, we're walking into Summerfest, and as it turned out, we had to walk right through the middle of protests on this matter, going on both sides. And... Um, To say it was conflicting <laughs> would be understatement. But as I reflected on it after doing that, um, said, you know, somewhere of where the Father wants me to be on this right now is there. Mm -hmm. in, in the way of Jesus is not going to be necessarily either side um, not that I always know what that looks like, but it just, it was kind of a picture in my mind um, as we did that even last night. So I intend to try to continue to walk as best I can with grace and humility. That's good. In reference to these yep. things. I wanted to, I was going to be like, well, let's stop and pray. And all I just want to say is, come Lord Jesus. That's it. We got a few more. Okay. You getting some decent? Um, yes. Are things still coming in? Well, 
there's I'm one I'm saving. a whole lot of phone. There's one I'm saving for the end that I'm going to surprise you with. It's oh, kind boy. of personal. I, I, think it's, I think it's actually good. Um, okay, here's a bigger context one. I like this. Um, is it time for another reformation? Yes. And a time for another, well, they spell it out a bit more. I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> is it time for another reformation? <laughs> the, a more fun thing for me to do would be to try to figure out who asked that question. So please come to me. Yeah. One of you. To I mean, here's, you, you, you can read the whole context of it if you want to, but I, I think it's just best asked that way. Okay. Well, why don't you ask it, the whole thing? Okay. Is it time for another reformation and split from the Western evangelicals who clearly are modern-day Pharisees? That's there you the, go. That's the question. <laughs> so that's pretty poignant. Yep. Um, so I think the context of what this person is talking about, whoever asked this question is pretty informed about church history. And um, the, if you take that wide look at church history, you'll realize that every 500 years, a huge shift happens in the church. So in about the year 500, the Great Schism happened, about, give or take, a couple hundred years. Thousands. Thousands. Thousands is a schism. 500 is about the Nicene Creed, right? That's about three... Constantine. Yeah, Constantine. Yeah. Then you have about 1600s, you have the first Reformation, and now we're due. We're about 500. We just celebrated 500 years from the, from the Reformation a couple of years ago, I think, right? Yeah. And so uh, it feels like we're due for a Reformation. It feels like the Western church in particular is due for a great shaking. Um, and I think we're in the midst of it. I think we're in, if we're not in the middle of it, we're at least in the birth pains of a, a shifting and a shaking in the church, a, a, re, a reforming. And I think that's a really good thing. I think we're, we are overdue in the Western church for um, just to, to, to wake up and to ask questions like, is this, is, are we embodying the way of Jesus truly in the church? In, 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 our, in our cultural moment, we find ourselves in um, is this Jesus' dream for the church that we're living out right now? I'm not so sure. Um, if, as you look at, as you zoom out over the church in the West, um, I think we really, um, we would be the ones that Jesus is, is challenging every single, with every single parable he brings. And so, yeah, I think we are due for a reformation. What that looks like, I have no idea, but I'm here for it. Amen. All right. Yes. I would agree for sure, um, but again, leaning or trying to lean on the side of humility, like you said, I have no clue <laughs> what that actually would mean right now. It's just that if we're students of history at all and take these instances and countless other things in the in-between years where these big markers happened, there were similar pot-stirring things going on. Things that were kind of saying, okay, what, who's going to rise up in this time? What is something going to happen? What is the church going to do? Um, what's going to take place here? And when some of those markers are put in place, um, the church is going to make some significant decisions on it. What I would say in light of that is how can we still consider ourselves rather than saying those guys are heretics and off, mm -hmm. those guys are heretics and off, um, which this is what these Reformation or schismatic time periods produce. 
a huge level of judgment in the church splitting itself in at, at least in two ways, maybe more than that, and saying those guys are not part of us, we want nothing to do with them, and vice versa. And then all of a sudden, a little ways, things start coming around and you start seeing people and they're understanding each other more and saying, you know, I think we shouldn't do that as the church and, and cast that judgment. So I think it's, it's time for something like that. I, I would agree with that. But it's also time for us to learn from the last times it's happened yeah. to not just throw the baby out with the bathwater idea and all yeah. of that. Um, that somehow um, that, you know, that we've learned something from the past times this happened and still can have compassion for people that staunchly disagree with us, yeah. that consider themselves to be a part of Christ Church. I think we're, honestly, to put it in big context, we're going to be surprised who we're spending eternity with. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, I mean, I hold space for conversations like this in another context. And what I've said in numerous times in that context is I think we're in the midst of a great reckoning in the church. And there's all sorts of areas, whether it be patriarchy, abuse in the church, white Christian nationalism, racism, you go on down the line. And I think we're at a moment where people are starting to call out the, the sin and the brokenness in the house of God. And, um, uh, and I want to hold space for those conversations and questions while also trying to have as much empathy and let as little judgment as possible while being honest about what the gospel looks like. Yep. Let's do two more. Oh, okay. I was going for you, the last you're one. You're going for the, <laughs> for the, the jugular? One I wanted, I, it's not a jugular. Okay. It, it's, right. it's kind of fun, at least. should be for us, at least. Um, okay, we, maybe we can just get off or do this one quickly. Um, parable of the weeds and the wheat. The enemy, presumably Satan or the evil one, the adversary, what did he sow? Who are the weeds in the parable of the weeds and wheat? Can got you do that one quick? Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I have some, but I think the main takeaway for me, just to kind of keep it rather than going into the weeds, sorry. Nicely done. <laughs> Um, it wouldn't be a Q&A with Schmore if it wasn't a dad joke in there. <laughs> Got to throw one in. Quip, yeah. yeah, so what I remember in this parable that always grabs me is that is the end thing. Let them all grow. Yeah. <laughs> Let them all grow. Sure, somebody did this, somebody did that. But the interesting thing about parables, I think you've brought this up over time here, is Parables are not meant to be one-to-one -one allegories of every single thing that happens in them. They're most of the time meant to be taken. There's one like major point that's supposed to be gotten there. And I think in this one, that is the thing. Let, let them all grow and harvest will determine. Yep. In other words, we're not, I mean, who's in charge of the harvest? It's, it's God's. Yeah. I so think, that's not our domain. Yep. I think the way we've looked at parables like that is trying to parse who's in and who's out, who's going to burn and who's going to live in, in eternity. Um, and I think that's, I, I'm tired of that, of, of, 
asking those questions. What I'm more interested in, what I'd be more interested in as your pastor, um, is you asking where has um, where have those weeds been sown in my life and in my heart and my person? Um, what are those things that have been scattered that I don't notice, that I'm blind to? My own brokenness and my own uh, my own sins and um, where where are those things growing that I just I need to pay attention to? That's that's what I would prefer you to be thinking about rather than trying to get fixate on what formula is right and who's in and who's out. Eleven oh six. I suppose we can go for the, uh, the the this one. Okay, there it is. What's your favorite thing about the other Andy's leadership? <laughs> that's what you were waiting on. We don't want to end with a bomb. We'll end with a, a fun one. Okay, I'll go first. Um, <clears throat> this guy has a problem with saying what's on his mind. No, I'm just. <laughs> Uh, it's the opposite. I kind of want a question I, after this. I don't want to end with this, but yeah, go ahead. Yes. Um, so I've, I've known this brother for 10, 11 years now, I think it is, yeah. altogether. Yeah. And what I appreciate about his leadership, that's, that's the question here, is willing to do things like this <laughs> and know that you can't make everybody happy or your friend when you're walking what you feel like God has asked you to do and standing for even, we don't always agree, but even when you're standing on stuff that you have conviction about, you're, you're definitely willing to go to the wall for it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and do what's needed. And so appreciating that um, and just your willingness to do it. So cool. I appreciate so much about Randy Schmore. He's the chairperson of our elder team. That is going to be the last one. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I appreciate so much about what Randy brings. His, his wisdom, his experience, he's got, uh, he probably doubles my time, more than doubles my time in ministry, and that matters a whole lot. He's got this global perspective that we all know and appreciate. Um, and in elder meetings, we've been in elder meetings now for a decade. Um, together, and uh, Randy used to drive me nuts, um, and, and mostly because he don't, I, I want to make a decision and go. I'm an Enneagram 8. For those of you who like the Enneagram, I like to challenge things. I don't care what people think very much, and I just want to go and make progress and, and, you know, win the world for Jesus, and Randy's an Enneagram 9 who's a peacekeeper and wants to consider all the perspectives, and uh, Every time I would say, let's go, and he'd be like, what will people think about this? And I'm like, I don't care, Randy. <laughs> but I've learned a lot from Randy and his, uh, his empathy and in wanting to listen and consider what you guys think rather than just what I or we think. And so I've been challenged by Randy's um, humility and wisdom. And um, also, uh, when Randy speaks, I listen. Um, I'll just say that. He's... He's a, he's a wise, trusted man who you should be grateful for as a leader here. Can we really, is there one like last question that's not about us? <laughs> it just seemed like a good place to end. Okay, we can end, that's now, fine. Now I think my wife's being... That's fine, don't worry about it. Let's just be done. Um, let's give a hand to Randy Schmore. That was not an easy job parsing through all those questions. <laughs>